Welcome to Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all over our nice cold beer. Well, today we are diving into the fourth commandment, starting at paragraph 103, uh, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. And, you know, we've been blowing through these, these uh, command, commandments. About 25 minutes each episode. Yeah. But this fourth commandment episode uh, might be a little bit longer, partly because it's an introduction to all of the, the commandments that are more centered on the horizontal realm of the relationship we have between one another. But also because in this commandment, uh, we have a great time to be able to discuss Luther's two kingdoms, the left and right kingdom. Uh, you know, Luther kicks off the discussion talking about the first three commandments. He, he goes, because this is a, uh, this is a, a, a change, a major change. Like so it's said. a transition moment. So he, he kind of looks back where we've been and where we're going. It kind of reminds me when uh, doing a sermon series. And I introduced this sermon by kind of saying what we talked about last week. And he does the same thing. He's, he says here, uh, before he gets into the fourth commandment, he says, goes into what the first three commandments are. He says, first, that, we will, that with our whole heart, we trust him and fear and love him throughout all our life. First commandment. And then the second, this is the secondly, he says, that we do not misuse his holy name in the support of falsehood or any bad work, but employ it to the praise of God and the profit and salvation of our neighbor and ourselves. Second commandment, how do we use God's name? And then the third, he said, thirdly, uh, that on holidays and when at rest, we diligently treat and urge God's word so that all our actions and our entire life be ordered according to it. So these first three commandments are dealing with that vertical realm. Uh, Sometimes they're referred to as the first table of the law, uh, referencing Exodus 31, where God gave Moses two tablets of the law. The two tablets aren't just one through five on one tablet, six through 10 on the other, but really the first three uh, commandments are on one tablet, dealing with our relationship with God. Then commandments four through 10 are dealing with that relationship that we have with our neighbor. Now, the numbering of of the commandments are going to be a little bit different for Lutherans and Catholics compared to Presbyterians and Baptists and non-denominational people in America, where they'll have one, two, three, four be that first tablet because they'll insert no graven images. Uh, we're using the numbering that's in the large catechism and, and really the numbering that Luther used throughout his discussion of the commandments. I always sort of like that first tablet, second tablet thing. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't specifically say that God wrote or Mar- Moses wrote the, the, the first three laws on the first tablet and the next six on the second. I, at least I don't recall. No, something. I don't either. But it is sort of poetic. It, it's nice for discussion. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an easy way to, to talk about this, this major change in the commandments, the, the ones in our relationship with God, the vertical, and then our relationships with each other, the horizontal. So it's, it, it is a, a great way to, to sort of work through these. or to Getting to our X and Y la, uh, line, um, graph figured out. So this is the first commandment on the second tablet. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I like you mentioned, I, I, I also don't have high hopes of getting through this this one in one episode. Um, now, we, we first, you know, Luther does have a lot to say about the fourth commandment. And then secondly, 
there, at least my take, and I'll really be interested to what you have to say on as we go through this fourth commandment, because it seems to me there's a lot of context uh, that we have to take into account. There's, uh, goes, we'll get into it in just a moment. We talk a little bit about the estates, and that's terminology that we don't use so mm-hmm. much. Uh, anymore and Luther uses it. Uh, he he jumps right into it and he ta- talks about the estate of of marriage. So so we're we're sort of you know we're going to have to really slow down again for for the first of all that Luther has a lot to say on it, but secondly because what he has to say is is said specifically in his in his his context and in, in his. You know, we don't live in 15, 16th century Germany, you know, and there's a lot that's happening there that really doesn't really apply to us directly. But we can find those lessons, those those parallels between the two. I hope. I hope. Right. So, talking about these, this medieval world, the three estates of church, government, and family life or peasantry. Um, and, and the reason that Luther will lift up these three different ways that we walk in life is to affirm the responsibility and authority that someone has in every day of their life. That in American democracy, everybody is lord of their own life and lord of their own castle. But in the 16th century, someone always had somebody that was more in control and more in authority than they were. To the point where a person could start to imagine they're completely passive in life. And that they have no responsibility or means to affect change in what they do. But when Luther then subdivides life from not just that you live under a noble, but that you live in your own family life. And so he, he defines three estates or, or three areas where every person is called to a vocation and every person is given certain gifts and responsibilities within that walk of life. And so the three estates are... Well, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, the, the three estates of church, nobility, or government. And what we've said before was the peasantry. And I think more accurately, we'd say the estate of marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's sort of, uh, but that's, l- l- I'm going to go back to Luther here for a moment. And, and he says, um, uh, so it's the first paragraph and in, in per- first sentence in paragraph 105. And what he says is, to this estate of fatherhood and motherhood, God has given the special distinction above all estates that are beneath it, that he not simply commands us to love our parents, but to honor them. And so so you have this, you know, we've said before, it's those three, church, nobility, or government, and the peasantry. But Luther, and I actually had to go back to, I had to read up on, on his 1535 discussions on Genesis and he does. He he says the church, uh, which he's he is saying is the ministry of the word, um, and then the second estate is the nobility, which he says is the estate responsible for government, and then the third estate he says is marriage, or sometimes the household, or sometimes it's called the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but he uses economy not in a financial sense, uh, but the the Latin word for economy, account. Uh, is also the same word for household. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, so, so when he uses the the word for economy to describe peasantry, he's not talking about the financial realm of like the Federal Reserve Bank or something like that, but he's talking about the household. Okay, I was trying to understand that because it seemed like that was a huge jump to go from family 
uh, from marriage, the estate of marriage to the estate of economy. Right. And it was like, I, I what? what? Yes. You know, and so I, I, I did a, I was doing quite a bit of research on this one. Um, and of course, uh, and you're probably familiar with the fourth estate, which is uh, typically the press is considered the fourth estate in the modern language, but not the, in Luther's time, not in Luther's time. And, and, and the, uh, those first three estates are established in the Bible. Yes. Right. And, and so this, that's this, this fourth estate is, is not biblical, whether or not it's, or it is certainly a real force in, in the world, but you know, we, we have the, you know, Luther is just going by the biblical three estates. I think the idea of the fourth estate of the press is parallel with the concept of truth. That the, the estate of the press is to keep people centered on what is truthful and held accountable to the truth. Okay. And, and that's a modern notion that the truth is something that is objective and uh, found apart from God's revelation. I see. I see. So, so that in a, in a Christian context, we would say that, of course, the, the truth is a component of God's revelation. And the truth would be found in each one of these in, in the government or in the, in the way we live in the world and, and each one of these estates. But that this idea of the fourth estate really comes out of truth being separated from God's revelation. And so I think it's a modern notion. And and it gets to why probably, you know, now that we're in postmodern times, that the press is, is viewed as something more suspicious with more motives. Because now we realize in the postmodern world that there's no uh, person or institution that was without motive. So a more a more effective, you know, to go back to the three estates, drive the desire and guidance of truth into each of the three estates is a rather than to segregate it out into a fourth estate, you know, mm-hmm. where the, the three estates get to do what they want, you know, and then there's this fourth estate. And so long as they don't catch you, you're okay. Right. You know, there's this, there's a need to, to have that rigor that, that drive toward truth in each of those three estates that uh, that really sort of and you know then the the press would just sort of fall under I don't know the the household you know that look at it from from the, the those people who work there this is that they're they're looking at the, for the truth in a specific way I, I think that notion of the press holding people accountable to the truth uh, has this expectation that everyone is trying to uh, sneak around right and right. so that uh, that idea of trying to sneak around. Uh, doesn't have to exist if we trust the truth to be present in each one of these estates. Right. Yeah. And that's so the the uh, you know I spent some time going through this and and what another thing that I thought in that and this is a long discussion just on this first this first sentence but but the 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 going back to the estates um, what I found amazing was that Luther placed the estate of marriage. Above the other two estates, mm-hmm. above government, higher than the church, higher than the government, and and that that is, I mean, here we are, you know, looking at this five hundred years later, and we we go and we're looking at the 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 way things were structured then, and we say, well, you know, 
there was the, the, the church, there was the nobility, and then there's the rabble, there's the peasants, there's the, you know, the lowest of them, you know, the, the least of the three estates. And Luther is, is taking all that and he's flipping it on its head. And he says, no, no, the, the, the church and, and the, the nobility serve the, the, the office of mother and father. Yeah. It's, it seems like that, at least that's my take. You know? It certainly is easier for me to see how government is to serve the health and the strength of the family, of the home, and that uh, the power of any government is found in the ascent of those assembled. But that's that's a that's a modern notion, right? Yeah, you know, it's that, a little bit harder to see it as the church that the that the a state of family is higher than the church. That that's true. That's true because when but there's a I guess the way I've been looking at it is and maybe you know we'll, we'll as we dive into this, um, I, I wonder if what Luther is getting to is that sort of the concept that you know if. Every, that the church is only as strong as its next generation. Yeah. You know, that I see that character of how uh, every generation passes on uh, the, the nurturing and care that has been shared in that family of what God's word says and, and how God frees us to love one another and how that love happens most primarily within the family. And then from that love that's in the family, it springs forward to our neighbor and if the family is broken, then the neighborhood starts to get more broken as well. Yeah. And this is, this is you know, but I, I have to agree with you. I was wondering as I was going through this that, you know, as I, I, I went and did some research on, on the three estates and, and the idea of placing the family above the proclamation of the word really did, I found, striking. Uh, maybe a helpful way to think of this is uh, Ben Freudenberg at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, uh, now retired, has started the Family Friendly Partner Network. And in there, he has a slogan that it is uh, family-centered, church-supported. And that for a long time, kind of in this institutional generation of the boom, uh, the builder generation, the greatest generation, was very high in the power of institutions. And so boomers grew up in this notion that it is church-centered, family-supported, and families exist to support the church. But that he highlights that really the word is given to the church to support the world. That the word is given to support the house. The, the word is given to support uh, the people that are living here so that we would find unity with what God has given us to do. And so this is the way, I think, to maybe like start to understand how Luther could highlight uh, what parents have been given to do as the highest walk in life, the highest estate, is to say that the word of God supports, serves, leads, nurtures, cares for the home so that the home can be what God has called them to be. That I think one of the great strengths of this is putting the family in that that role of, of where God's word is to be shared, where that love is to be nurtured and built, but that all of this happens because what the word is doing to support them. So let's go back to, and I think Luther sort of, he, he talks about the importance um, of all this. And continuing on, on, in paragraph 105, Luther's reasoning uh, comes from, uh, from the fourth commandment. He says, with respect to brothers, sisters, and our neighbors in general, God commands nothing higher than we love them. 
so that he separates and distinguishes father and mother above all other persons upon earth and places them at his side. He calls parents God's representatives, and that however lowly, poor, feeble, eccentric they may be, they are still their, your mother, your father. They are still given by God. They are not to be deprived of this honor because of their ways or failings. It was, you know, that, that, that list that you had, the, the, the lowly, poor, frail, in my, term, in my, uh, my version mm-hmm. here, it said queer, uh, lowly, poor, frail, and queer. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really cover the worst of what we hear about in the news about, about parents. It's, it seems like almost like a surface. But there is an acknowledgement that parents aren't perfect by Luther. True. And, and that this honoring doesn't come because they are perfect, but because of what they are called to do by God. Um, we honor any authority, not because of what that person is, but because of the office they hold. And I, I see this, you know, we're, we're going to later take a jump as we, we see how father and mother become an example of every representative of authority that is over us. But uh, we, we live in a time, probably every presidential period we have of a different president is this moment where people have to question, am I going to support this president or not? And as Americans, we think, uh, you know, I'm an American, I'm, I'm a part of this country, I want to see this country great, but am I prepared to support this president? And in the same way as Luther would say, a child supports their father and mother, uh, not because the father and mother are perfect, but because they are God's representatives, we find the necessity of upholding the office even when we may struggle with who may be particular in the office, whether it's the current president or past presidents we've had. Right, right. And that is one of the things that the, uh, there is, you know, we are called upon. And like you said, we'll get into that deeper as we go through this and maybe two or three episodes just to get through this mm-hmm. because there's so many layers to it. But the, uh, um, the, the, when, as you start taking the, 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 the flaws of mother and father. And, and Luther will dive into that. He spends some time talking about that and then going on and, and then looking at how, you know, the flaws of our governmental leaders and mm-hmm. the flaws of, you know, and, and what that means and, and how, you know, what are our limits? What are, you know, what are our limits in being obedient to them? And what are our, you know, so this is a, a big, big discussion uh, and, and honoring your father and mother. How do we, because like Luther says, we are called to go beyond just love, but to honor. To esteem them, to value them. Uh, he'll even describe what it means to value parents, uh, to honor them. He says, you'll, you'll value them as the most tr- precious treasure on earth. Uh, you'll behave respectively toward them. You'll honor them by your actions and uh, you will cherish your parents uh, in your heart. And you will not let them endure want or hunger, but will place them above and beside themselves. This is hard. Uh, I think it's helpful to realize that, that Luther understands and acknowledges that the persons who are our parents are, are broken people, just like we are. We all stand equal before God as sinners. But to see them 
as the will of God as our representatives places a challenge on us to, to know what it doesn't mean to honor them. I, I suppose it's easier with a young child when they look up to their parents and realize that's the one that gives me, uh, you know, food. That's the one who changes my diaper. That's the one who makes sure I have shelter. But as we get older and we start to understand uh, our parents aren't perfect, we, we start to see their flaws. We, we start to see that which uh, makes them broken. Uh, you know, th- this is this is a, a, a you know Luther's gonna, and he's going to dive into this. He's not going to shy away from it, um, and and so we'll we'll be got, getting into that tough discussion. But and when it comes to tough discussions, sometimes you just need a beer break. This and, is a great time for a beer break. <laughs> <laughs> so our beer today is from uh, my second office. Uh, well, I don't know. I've got lots of offices, I suppose. But Griffin Claw Brewing Company, which is here in Birmingham, Michigan, uh, where we're happen to be recording this current episode. Uh, it's there at about the intersection of Eaton and Maple. Uh, we're drinking the El Rojo, uh, Raimondo El Rojo Red Ale. Uh, it's uh, 6.5% alcohol by volume. It's a bronze medal winning uh, red ale, malty, roasted flavor. It was entered in a competition as an English brown, uh, but it's really, as they would say, more of an American red. It's bigger than a Scottish red because Americans are Big. <laughs> it's got a beautiful ruby red color, rich roasty caramel body, and uh, it is an example of how Griffin Claw uh, cares about you as people. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked red ales. I, this is when when I you know I like brown ales. I like red ales. They're they're nice. They're easy to go down. This is, is certainly it's they're 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 not they're not uh hugely flavorful you know this is it's a very they tend to be more mild beers mm-hmm. well the last episode we featured a belgian style ale That's that was double. made with candied syrup um and it was it was much sweeter than this one this has a, a muted flavor on the tongue it but it's uh it's it has a little bit of spice to it as well it does it does it's a uh, you know this is like i said you know um, my my go to beers tend to be the well, I I have a I have a few of them, but I, I tend toward the more mild beers, especially in the summertime. I, I like to have the big flavor, huge flavor beers in the wintertime. But as summer comes along, like this, it's a beautiful day outside. Where you know I start moving into the lighter beers, the smoother beers, and and this is certainly one of my this is this is the kind of stuff I like to drink in the summertime. Still strong enough, you you might be. Uh... Need to be warned about drinking as an all-day session beer, though. Yeah, six percent more. You know, uh, uh, that's that's a little high. You know, um, we're splitting a beer today, which is probably appropriate since I have work to do after this. I don't know what your schedule yes. looks like, but I'll I'll be uh, I have some work to do out in, out at the house. A so. little story about Griffin Claw, uh, Griffin Claw Brewing Company. Uh, opening day was 2013. Uh, but really, it has its origins back when Don Rogers, uh, Dan Rogers, uh, began working his magic at the Big Rock Chop House. Uh, he'd been brewing since 1991. He found his way back to the Big Rock um, in 2004 and kind of started Griffin Claw. Griffin Claw is right next to the Big Rock, and uh, he hammered out some amazing beers there at the Big Rock. And uh, then uh, 2010. His name and beers received a lot of attention. That was a big year. They won two World Beer Cup medals uh, for Norm's Raggedy Ass and Bonnie's Raggedy Ass. Um, and you know they've just pretty much grown uh, from there. Uh, and they're, they're on their website, 
They talk about the people there, uh, and you know they have pictures of everybody who works there. And if you if you wander down to the Griffin Claw Brewery, you're liable to see a lot of these folks. They they don't have a whole lot of turnover. It seems it's a place where the, every time you go there, you're seeing the same family. Uh, you're seeing the same people. They get to know you. Um, so there's Griffin Claw there at Eaton Maple, and then they have expanded uh, at Crooks and M59 in. Uh, uh, whereas that Rochester Hills area, they also then have another uh, off-site location for greater volume. They can be found now in Meyer and Kroger in the area, uh, largely selling their Blue Sky. Yeah, I, I've I've seen Griffin Claw, and I think we did. I, I, for some reason, I thought we featured them that brewery once before. And you know, being so close to home and being your 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 second office, we we may feature them in the future again. But this is this is a. Certainly a good beer. I'm really enjoying it. Prost. So we were talking about Luther's understanding that parents aren't perfect, but yet they still are God's representatives. Uh, they're the will of God. God has created. <clears throat> God has created and ordained it so that we would have parents. Uh, but among ourselves, uh, you know, it's in, it's impossible not to sometimes look at the flaws of any institution and start to find reasons, excuses why we can um, discredit or discount or avoid obeying God's word because the world's not perfect. You know, one of the things that uh, in, in researching for this podcast, this this concept, this this is a, a obviously with things like, I mean, it's all over the news, things like, um, uh, we'll say, uh, Bernie Madoff. Who was turned? Was you know ripping off so many people? His own family and and his sons were the ones who turned him in uh, to the police and and the damage that was done. But they did the right thing. Um, the 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 difficulties and there are there are hundreds uh, just going through the news of the last few years. Hundreds of examples of of parents who are. Um, are, are really struggling to, to do the right thing. And, and the children are, are finding themselves, you know, how do you honor your parents in those kinds of situations? And now, so, I, you know, you talk about the stories in the news about where parents aren't perfect. I think those probably find their way into the news because it's, it's it, so, it's so unusual. It's so unusual, but every day there's lots of parents who are dealing with kids <laughs> who are difficult. <laughs> This is true. That doesn't make the news nearly as much. <laughs> that does not. But you know, because because I recognized this, and you, you you've been through all sorts of education on you know, your got your PhD. So I had to actually study this stuff to prepare for these webs. These, I prepared these, these, to, these, Mike. <laughs> so you know, we we uh, so I was doing some read uh, reading with, uh, and I, I like Oswald Baer, uh, yes. the the Greek the uh, the, Greek, the the German theologian. And he wrote a great article back uh, in 1998 on, uh, on talking about um, uh, loving our neighbor. And, and, you know, before we get into the, you know, this concept of, of the, the estates, I want to go back to that for a moment because I did, I want to get my research out there. You know? Yes. You, you so, were turning. You want to get it out I there. I want to get it out there. So, so Luther, he, he's talking about the estates and he, Luther, uh, uh, Bayer, um, is quoting Luther's 1519 sermon on baptism. 
And he says, uh, Luther says, God has instituted many estates in life in which men are to learn to exercise themselves and to suffer. To some, he has commanded the estate of matrimony, to others, the estate of the clergy, to others, the estate of temporal rule, and to all he has commanded that they shall toil and labor to kill the flesh and accustom it to death. And, and so, what, according to Bayer, Luther is saying that faith liberates us from all worldly com, uh, compulsions, and we use this freedom to renounce and transcend ourselves for the love of others. And so, it's this these struggles we go through is the way I'm, I'm interpreting this, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. But these these struggles we go through in the estates that we are either born into or we find ourselves as a parent struggling as a parent or struggling as a husband or as a wife um, that this is this these are this is um, to teach us to to rely on the promises of God to not be so bur- to not be so grounded in the things of this world but to to uh, to to be more prom- grounded in the promises of God and to free us from those 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 struggles to love our neighbor. Maybe I'm not making any sense, but that's well. That's, you're you're, you're, I'm, you're I'm, lining up with that last part of the quote. You shall toil and labor to kill the flesh and accustom it to death. That whatever we a state we are living in, whatever walk of life that we are finding ourselves in, that we will find in that estate, we'll find in that walk of life struggle. Right. And in that struggle, we will find how we are called to serve the will of God in the midst of a sinful world. And we get accustomed to the fact that we are failing. We get accustomed to the fact that we are dying. We get accustomed to the fact that life is hard, but yet we are still called to serve. And as we are called to serve in those moments when we are killing the flesh and getting accustomed to death, we realize we must Rely on the one who has brought resurrection and life into this world. So in the estate of matrimony, to the estate of clergy, to others that are in the estate of temporal uh, rule, to all he has commanded, live by the promise that God is at work. Bear, Bear, uh, his summary here, and I like this, uh, labor does not liberate. Rather, those who are free labor. Uh, Thus, the works of Christians are necessary not for salvation, but all of our works are free service in favor of the will and the amendment of the others. This really looks to that character of the freedom of a Christian. We are free from having to labor to find our righteousness. We now labor to share the righteousness of God that we have received. And so the labor I have in any of the estates that God has placed me is not to find my own liberation, because my liberation is secured in Christ Jesus. I labor in that task to share the promise of God. So the, the, if we look at the order of the Ten Commandments, and you know, we're talking about loving the neighbor, which is the second tablet, and you look at the order of the Ten Commandments and honoring thy father and mother is the first of that. Uh, that would place honor of father and mother, no matter how difficult. Next to God. As, as part of our training uh, to, to love our neighbor. And what another way to say it is, how do I love my neighbor? Well, you start by honoring your father and mother. So I love the Lord my God, first three commandments. I want to love my neighbor. I do it first by loving those to whom God has placed in my life in a, 
a position of honor and value, to learn what it means to honor those whom God has placed in my walk of life. And I don't then just uh, love the ones who are below me as some sort of high noble that then is helping the peasants. But when I honor father and mother, I'm learning what it is to then love those who are serving me. Even if not serving me, but have rule over me, even those who are flawed. Now, Mm -hmm. um, Luther continues to draw the distinction between love of neighbor and honoring of parents in uh, in paragraphs 106 and 107. And he says, uh, for it is a far higher thing to honor than to love one. And as much as it comprehends not only love, but also modesty, humility and deference as to a majesty there hidden and requires not only that they be addressed kindly uh, and with reverence. He continues, and most of all that, both in heart and with the body, we act as to show that we esteem them very highly. And the next to God, we regard them as the very highest. For one whom we are to honor from the heart, we must truly regard as high and great. Uh, So between these two quotes, he's talking about that difference between love and honor. Um, That love is really for those that we find lovable. For honor uh, requires some modesty, humility, and deference uh, to see a majesty that yet may be hidden in the ones that are above us. I find it quite remarkable how uh, Luther will talk with this acknowledgement of parents as being flawed. Um, it's kind of a reminder that Luther really was a real person, and he's not just speaking about some sort of academic governmental flowchart. Uh, that when he looks up to a parent, he is looking up to someone that he has already known. He knows his own mother and father. He knows they're not perfect. And when he asks you to honor your father and mother, he realizes what he is asking of you. I know that when I've taught the Lord's Prayer, and I'll say, uh, we start with our Father. And what a wonderful gift it is that as children of God, we are invited to call upon our Father, to ask Him for things, to pray to Him, to praise Him, to give thanks to Him. And then I'd say nearly every time I teach the Lord's Prayer, someone says, well, what about those who don't have a good experience with their Father? And I say, well, then look to God for what a father should look like. But also ask God for the wisdom to know how to look to your own father. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it is now there are uh, like you mentioned, you know, the, the, the you know, we see in the newspaper all these terrible, terrible things. Um, but the fact that they're so remarkable sort of points to the fact that they are unusual that for the vast majority of parents, they fall into the uh, more likely to fall into the lowly, poor, frail, or queer, as Luther says, these, these sort of more surface things where there is a hidden majesty behind that mm-hmm. and, and that we are called to do, to, to look into. But this is, uh, you know, and, and so the vast majority of, of fathers and mothers out there are, you know, there is a hidden majesty that requires the guidance and humility of God for us, you know, God to bless us with that humility to see. And that's that's sort of uh, uh, to me that's 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 an important thing to to take away from Luther's beginning here. I think any Christian that is able to look to what God is doing in this world will recognize that God is doing it through people who are broken, and that if as Christians we wait for the kingdom of God to arrive through the perfect, we will always be disappointed, discouraged, frustrated that God has not arrived yet. 
I think it takes eyes of faith to be able to say in this world, God is at work. And that really does point to the, uh, you know, the hidden majesty, to find the hidden majesty of the parents allows us to also learn the long journey toward finding the hidden majesty of the cross uh, and and the the suffering that we will experience. Even, even, I mean, look at Paul, Paul, uh, you know, Paul and Paul's era. He was looking at Caesar, one of the uh, Caesar and one of the most corrupt, you know, leaders of all time. And, and he found the hidden majesty there. And, and he even asked the Christians, pray for Caesar. Yeah. Pray for the Caesar. I pray for the one that is in charge because they are doing the will of God. How hard that would be to pray for the very one that is bringing persecution into the world and to say, yeah, God will be at work through that person. Well, this comes to a conclusion. Uh, so we have talked about what uh, Luther defines as the three estates. Um, Another way if that word estate just sounds odd to you, another good translation for that word estate is walk in life. Uh, we've gotten from paragraph 103 to paragraph 111. Uh, paragraph 112, where we will pick up next, we'll be talking about uh, the great good holy work that is assigned to children and how we, uh, we need to talk to children about what it means to honor father and mother and not just give them high noble tasks of monastery life or other things like that. But Luther is, how about we just talk about the basics? And that's where we will be next week. Prost.